against us, mind not for my sins. Thy tender mercies show. Let them prevent us speedily, for we are brought very low. For thy name's glory help us, and we would bless thy name that thou hast given this argument unto thy own. To use when nothing else could be used, even thy name's glory. And we beseech of thee to teach us that we may in some measure apprehend the meaning of this, the meaning of thy name's glory on account of which thy people in all ages besought thy help. May we be enabled by thy grace to base our petitions and um, to um, be strengthened in heart on account of thy name's glory. And to this end, blessed one, enlighten us in the knowledge of him in whom thy name is revealed. Revealed in such a way as to be a firm and immovable ground for those who plead with thee. May we be enlightened in the knowledge of him who is the brightness of thy glory and the express image of thy person who did say and does say, I have revealed thy name to the men thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. May the blessed Spirit, whose office it is, to take of the things of Christ and reveal them unto such as we. May he take of these things this day and show them unto us, glorifying Christ in us taking away the veil from our heart and giving us to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
we would acknowledge how that the unworthiness of such a privilege. We would confess our sins, our iniquities. We would confess the fact that we have ample evidence to show that whatever thou wilt give us, we will but abuse it, unless thyself will take care of it. And we would bless thee for this provision of the covenant of grace, that there are certain things that are beyond man's abuse, certain things that cannot be destroyed, certain things that are made sure and certain in the immutable counsel of the Most High. Hence it is written, ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. This cannot be destroyed. Oh, blessed one, we would exalt thy name for the benefits of the covenant of grace, eh, for the, its superiority over the first covenant. In the first life could be destroyed, in the second it cannot. It is hid with Christ in God. May our soul take courage from this, and may we be enabled by a holy boldness to draw near unto thee, as thou art seated on a throne of grace, inviting and commanding us to come as we are, that we may experience the blessedness of the man whom thou dost choose, the man whom thou makest to draw near unto thee. Bless us each one, we pray. Thou knowest the condition of each one of us. The secret sighs of the heart are not hidden from thee. Thou searchest the heart. Thou triest the reins of the children of men. Thou knowest, blessed one, what our needs are, and thou art able to supply them all according to thy riches in glory through Christ Jesus. May we have a true consciousness of our needs being supplied this day, supplied out of the unsearchable riches of Christ, even the riches of thy grace and glory. Bless thy word to us to this end. Bless it whenever it is proclaimed this day. May it go forth as a powerful word, a word accompanied by God's authority a word witnessing in the conscience and the hearts of many. Thou knowest, blessed one, what our condition is, not only as individuals, 
not as only as a congregation, but as a generation to the ends of the earth. May it please thee, in this dark and cloudy day, to make known what thou canst do as the God of all grace. Be with us now and be with all whom we should commit unto thee. Remember those who are denied our privileges, those known to us and those unknown to us. Do thou bless them where they are, comforting their heart in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Lift upon us the light of thy countenance, take away sin and accept of us in the Beloved, in whom thou shalt have the praise. Amen. Uh, we may now for a little consider, as we shall be enabled, the words you will find in the chapter we read together. The book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 1. And we may read again at verse 16. Isaiah chapter 1 at verse 16. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If he be willing and obedient, he shall eat the good of the land. But if he refuse and rebel, he shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. In view of um, the context in which these words appear, uh, they are of uh, more than ordinary interest. Uh, God uh, brings uh, certain definite charges against Israel. And they are grave charges. <coughs> they are accused of ingratitude and rebellion. I have nourished, saith God, I have nourished and brought up children. And what did they do? They rebelled against me. And not only was this bad considered in itself, 
but it was aggravated by the fact that it was of long continued duration. The Lord had dealt with them to bring them back from their wanderings to bring them under his own subjection but alas it is it now looks as if all these chastisement all this care had gone for nothing why should he be smitten anymore For it would seem that the effect of the smiting as well as of the manifestation of God's goodness are one and the same. Why should he be smitten anymore? He will reward more and more. This is a a very serious comment on our nature as such. This brings to light the ingrained ungodliness of the human heart, the enmity of the human mind against God. Even despite the lavish manifestation of God's goodness upon man. The heart is still at enmity with God, not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, the question arises, if the goodness of God had not the effect on these people of bringing them in gratitude to God and of keeping them in the way of obedience to his will. And if God's chastisements for disobedience had failed to produce the desired result, what could do it then? Is the case absolutely without a way? Is there anything that can so touch and transform the heart of man as to bring him into willing obedience to God? If he be willing and obedient. That is the end to which God's dealings with his people pointed. If he be willing and obedient. If he will render willing obedience, then he shall eat the good of the land. 
But if he refuse and rebel, as he have been doing, he shall be consumed by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now these are the two alternatives. And that exhausts the whole plane of thought in this connection. There is nothing else left. If he be willing and obedient, on the one hand, or on the other, if he refuse and revert. And one of these you must do. One or other of, of these two attitudes you must take up. And you must do it now. Of course we have always been doing it. There can be no hiatus in the doing of this. It is being done all the time by everyone without a single exception. We are either willing and obedient, or else we refuse and rebel. Is there anything? Can there be anything to bring us all from a position of being rebellious and of refusing what God has to say to a position of willing obedience. Now it is in answer to this that we have God's gracious invitation to his people here. Come now and let us reason. Now the words in particular which were before my mind are these let us reason. Let us reason together. It is the Almighty who is speaking. The one who is bringing these definite and grave charges against the people. It is he who says Come and let us reason. Let us reason together. And a special thought uh, that um, occurred to me in connection with this may be grouped under two heads. First, in what this reasoning does not consist. God commands his people and invites them graciously to come and reason. That doesn't mean to say that they can reason any way they please. It does not mean to say that they may reason with certain ends in view. Certain ends in view they must have. But these ends are set by God, not by them. And secondly, what this reasoning consists in. First, then, the negative aspect of the question. Let us 
reason together. They were not to reason in order to try and change God's purpose. They are not invited to reason in this way. Yet this is expressly prohibited. Now we mention that because this is the only reasoning that the human heart knows of. The only mode of reasoning it can adopt in relation to God. Have you not noticed in yourself that there is a strong tendency in your being to reason with God, but not in the way that God requires and commands. A strong tendency to reason with him that he might change his purpose. A strong tendency, shall we say, to make God compromise on certain questions. Of course, it is not presented to the mind in that light. It may have a very plausible appearance, but this is the very nature of it. This is the essence of it, that man would like to reason with God so that God himself would change a bit here and a bit there. This, of course, is the only type of confidence that is known to men in the world. See, when men who differ come together, as they do often nowadays, they, they, they try to find a solution, as they say, to certain problems. They try to reason out their difficulties, to iron them out, to find some point on which they can agree. But there are disagreements is only to appear. Now, they confer with one another in order to find some ground of agreement. But how do they do that? Well, the usual way is, yeah, the only way is that one party will compromise a bit here. The other party will compromise a bit there. So by cutting out rough corners, they try at last to come to a basis of agreement. But don't you see that this is arrived at by compromise on both sides? Now that is the type of confidence that is known in politics. And alas, it is the type of confidence that is known in the church. And has been known in the church from the beginning. Compro confidence to compromise. And compromise is the root of all evil. You can never arrive at truth in that way. You are only sacrificing the truth. One party sacrifices a bit here that it assumes that it is the truth to begin with. The other party up in there 
and so the conference goes on. And if at last they arrive at some sort of agreement, it is hailed as being a special manifestation of God's kindness to them. When it, when it has been arrived at by sacrifice of the truth. Now such a conference is good for nothing because it's worth nothing. Now that type of conference is not permitted with God. It is not a compromise, a conference in which compromise plays any part whatsoever. It is not permitted to man to come and say to God, Now, if this were changed, if that were changed, I could see things better. I could accept things more wholeheartedly if this little bit was taken out here, that little bit taken out there. Oh no, no. When God calls man to reason, he calls him to reason on God's ground and on no other ground whatsoever. And that, incidentally, is what is very often forgotten. Although God graciously condescends to reason with man, he doesn't reason with man on equal terms, as it were. As if man had a right to bring forward his terms, and commend them to God. Oh no, this must be done from beginning when on God's terms. And that is the very meaning of, of the covenant under which, or on the basis of which, God invites man to him. God commands man to come. There may be some uh, <coughs> mistaken ideas in our mind in connection with the meaning of a covenant. What does it actually mean? It means agreement, yes. <coughs> it means that uh, two parties have come to terms by which they promise to abide, yes. But among men, the parties are are of equal status. If I make a covenant with you, I make it with you as you reap one. If you make a covenant with me, you make it with me as my reap one. You have the right to suggest what the covenant should be, what its terms should be. And I have the right to suggest what its terms should be. But it is not so with God. When God comes to make covenant with man, he doesn't say to man, no, do you think that's all right? Or shall we change it here and change it there? No, it is imposed upon man. Imposed upon him by superior authority. Not by one of equal status. Not by one with whom we can say this, that, and the next, to whom we can bring your own suggestions. No. The word covenant never meant that. It means God's terms revealed to man to which man must agree. 
if he is to be a beneficiary of this covenant. He must agree to them. They are God's terms. Now when God commands man to say, when God commands man to come and reason, he commands to man to reason on God's terms. And it is nothing short of blasphemy to entertain the idea of reasoning with God on any other terms. On any other terms. But that is precisely what you find man doing. He takes what, what suits him. At least this is what he tries to do. He takes what suits him of God's terms and ignores the rest. Now you remember <coughs> that we are told of Israel that at a certain time when he slew them then they showed a desire to seek him. They sought him early. They remembered that God was their rock. To him they came, but they were unfaithful, unsteadfast, and perfidious. They in his covenant were. They were not faithful in the covenant. They were not sincere. In other words, they tried to take part of God's terms, some of them, and leave others. That's the height of ungodliness, as it is the height of insincerity. Let us reason, but reason on my terms. Not on yours. It does not conflict in an attempt to compromise with God. This reasoning does not mean and cannot mean that God is to change one iota from what he is and what he has revealed. Neither does it mean that the charges are to be ignored or minimized. Now that is something to learn. It is much to learn. The charges are not to be ignored. What God has said must stand. They were rebellious. They were ungrateful. They were companions of thieves. And none of that is to be set aside. None of it to be ignored. None of it to be minimized. The charges have to be faced. In all their gravity, they must be faced. The reasoning with God does not consist in trying to show that things are not as bad as they look. That things are not as bad as 
God's charges would make them out to be. God will not reason with anyone with that in view. They have to be faced in all their magnitude, in all their enormity, in all their gift. They have to be faced. And the very attempt to sidetrack or to minimize God's charges against us is itself proof positive that we are not sincere in our reasoning with God. It shows the hollowness of our confessions, the insincerity of our action. The first sign and the first essential sign of being sincere with God in reasoning with Him is to acknowledge God's charges against us. <coughs> to acknowledge them for what they are in as far as we are capable of understanding. Let us reason but not to explain away what has already been said. Not to show that the case is not as black as it looks. It is unspeakably black. More, more, more heinous than words can make it. The case of God against you is such that it leaves you on your side no ground whatsoever on which you can open your mouth. Why was the law given? It was given because of transgression that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world become guilty before God. And the Lord does that not once or twice. He does that always. God's charges against man as a sinner are such that they leave no room for man to open his mouth. Every mouth is stopped. The whole world becomes guilty before God. The whole world brought in guilty before God. Hence on this ground there is no room to speak. We cannot start arguing or reasoning with God and say things are not as bad as they seem. They are much worse than they say. Now the positive side. Let us reason 
unwashed clothes. How are they going to reason at all? Well, the first cloud is the obvious one. That God commands it. Come and let us reason. And this has all the authority of God's word. It is God who speaks. It is he who says, Come and let us reason. Let us reason. It is he, in other words, who gives the guilty permission to speak. He is the judge. It, 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 it is his prerogative to rule in court. And when man is brought in guilty, his first plea is or should be, May I speak? May I be permitted to speak? And what does the judge say? Yes. Come and let us reason. That is the very that is the very reason that this conference has been called at all. That you may be permitted to speak. What have you to say? Oh well. He can well repeat the words of another. I have perverted that which is good and it has not profited me. I have that to say. I have perverted that which is good. It has not profited me. And what is that? It is wholehearted agreement with God's terms, with God's own verdict. It hasn't profited me. It is not only an evil thing, but it is also a bitter thing to sin against God. Looking at it from that angle, what have you to say? It is a bitter thing to sin against God. But it is more than that. And it is not that first. It is a bitter thing because it is an evil thing. I have this to say. It is an evil thing. It shows ingratitude to the kindest benefactor. It shows ingratitude to God. It shows a perverse will. It shows a mind at enmity with God. Let us reason. Now your reasoning here consists in being in being brought to see the righteousness, the justice of God's charges against you. May I be permitted to speak, in other words, to justify God. 
show forth his justice in the charges he has brought against them. There is no denial in the soul that is taught of God, no denial of what God has to say against him. But secondly, he, he is permitted to say this, not only to acknowledge his guilt, but he is permitted to reason thus, my guilt may be so great that there can be no hope in this case at all, that there can be no hope for me. See the church in another place argued like that. We have loved, we, we have, we have loved idols, and after them we will go. Why? Because there is no hope now. That is how the church argued at one time. But that was false argument. It was sophistry. God says the case is indeed bad. Your sins witness against you. Your iniquities like the wind have carried you away. Nevertheless, though your sins be as scarlet. That's God speaking in the confidence. Speaking to the one who says, Guilt may have mounted up to such a height that there is now no hope. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And there are many things that suggest themselves to an accusing conscience. Many things. There is the enormity of guilt. There are special aggravations in connection with but when man has said all he can say about his gift, the word still comes forth from God. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, and that to them all the aggravations conceivable. But that doesn't change the word of the eternal God of the Holy One of Israel. But perhaps the greatest aggravation of all is this. The very common one, namely our unconsciousness of our sins. Will God forgive sin that has attached to them this particular aggravation, a hardness of heart, a dullness of understanding, a lack of 
Concern about them and what is more, a lack of true sorrow on account of them. That is indeed a great aggravation of our sin, perhaps the greatest of all. Our unconsciousness, our unconcern. But then where shall we get concerned? Where shall conscience be made tender? Where shall we get the right attitude of mind towards those sins? Come now, and let us reason together. It is the height of insanity. To think that your heart may be prepared first, and then you will come to God as he says, as he commands. The coming and the preparation are simultaneous. You cannot get a prepared heart away from God, nor can you get a tender conscience. Or can you get an enlightened understanding? All these are gifts of God. And they are given in connection with communion. Let us reason. Let us reason on my terms. Let us reason with you conscious of what you are saying in your reasoning. And all that I give, and I give freely, on these grounds that you come to me. Come now. Come now. You see, <clears throat> make you clean. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, if he be willing and obedient, he shall eat the good of the land. But between these we have this, come now, come now, not come then, not when you have washed and made clean, not when you have become willing and obedient. Don't come then, it's come now. This is the prerequisite to it all. Come now, and then other things will be looked after. But nothing can be looked after. Nothing can be taken care of until first you come and we reason together. Though your sins be a scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they be as crimson. They shall be like wool. It doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't matter what aggravations attend them. Sin will be pardoned. 
and God will pardon all who come to him without a single exception. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast up. I will pardon sin. I will purge away unrighteousness. In fact, I will make all who come meet or suitable, suited to communion with myself. Come and let us please. You can see from here the force of Job's complaint when he said, Oh, that I knew where I might find. I would come unto his seat. I would fill my mouth with arguments. He wouldn't put me away from him. Yea, but he would strengthen me. Come. Now, let us reason. You and I. That's what God says. You and I. We shall reason this point. And a blessed confidence this is. A blessed man he is to whom the Lord leads to the confidence. Who hears him speaking from above the mercy seat. Go, thy sins be forgiven. Go in peace. Let us pray. O Lord, be merciful unto us. Grant us thy fame, grant us thy blessing, the blessing of the man whose sins are forgiven and whose iniquities are pardoned, the man to whom the Lord doth not impute his sin. And grant us the blessing of those who are renewed in the spirit of their mind, the blessing of those who are justified, adopted, and sanctified, who are indeed being made meet for the enjoyment of God to all eternity, accept of us, forgiving us all our sins for the Redeemer's sake. Amen. Amen.